Amen. All right, we're there in uh, Numbers, chapter number 18. And on Sunday nights, we're going through the book of Numbers. We're in this series called Wilderness Wanderings, and we are uh, wandering in the wilderness with the children of Israel through the book of Numbers. Of course, the book of Numbers documents all of the stories of the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness, but there's also uh, sections of the book that are not narratives. They're not stories. They're uh, just laws and, and statutes and things that uh, God gave the children of Israel, and that's where we find ourselves tonight here in Numbers 18. Actually, next Sunday night in Numbers 19, I'm really excited about Numbers 19. It's a chapter like this, but it's a really controversial chapter. It's where God gives them the law of the red heifer, and you may or may not know anything about the law of the red heifer, but if you Google it, you'll find that there's all sorts of crazy videos out there about the Jews and their red heifer and all these things, so we'll talk about that next week, uh, but there's some interesting things Uh, here in the book of Numbers. And if you remember, last week we started in Numbers chapter 18. We only did the first seven verses last week. We'll finish the chapter tonight. And the chapter has to do with the priests and the Levites. And uh, we saw the position of the priests and Levites in verses 1 through 5 last week. We saw that the priests were to do the work of the sanctuary, of the tabernacle. They were to do a spiritual work. We saw that the Levites were to be helpers to the priests. And we saw how the New Testament has a New Testament equivalent to that, Uh, which is the pastor and deacons or or staff of a local church. And then we also saw the purpose of the priests and the Levites in verses 6 and 7. We saw that the Levites were a gift to the priests, and the priests were a gift to the people. And we saw how that also had uh, equated in the New Testament as well. Uh, Tonight, we're going to pick up where we left off last week in in verse number 8. And we are continuing uh, with this subject of the priests and Levites, but there's a little bit of a shift uh, really from here to the end of the chapter, uh, and it has to do with a very specific subject. I want you to notice it there in Numbers 18 and verse 8. The Bible says this, And the Lord spake unto Aaron, Behold, I also have given thee. I want you to notice that uh, phrase, given thee. And we talked about this last week that this is a unique chapter in the sense that God is speaking to Aaron. Aaron, of course, is the priest. He's the high priest. Usually what we see is we see God speaking to Moses. Uh, But this chapter is directed at Aaron because it specifically applies to the priest. And Aaron was, of course, the high priest. He's the leader of the priest. The Bible says, The Lord spake unto Aaron, Behold, I also have given thee. So this is something that God has given to Aaron, given thee the charge of mine heave offerings. The word charge means... to be in charge of, the same way we use the word today. He said, I put you in charge. I've given you authority over this. He says, I also have given thee the charge of mine heave offerings of all the hallowed things. The word hallowed means sanctified or separated or set apart. And here's what God is saying. God is saying there are some things that have been hallowed and separated um, unto the Lord. And God is now telling Aaron I have given thee those things, those things that have been hallowed and separated unto me. He says to Aaron, I have given thee the charge of mine heave offerings of all the hallowed things of the children of Israel. Unto thee have I given them. Notice he's telling him, I'm giving you these things. Unto thee have I given them by reason of the anointing. Now, what he's saying is, I'm giving you these things because of your anointing, because of your calling. The anointing, of course, Uh, the New Testament equivalent of an anointing is an ordination. And in the Old Testament, when they would call a priest into the priesthood or into the ministry of a priest, they would anoint them with oil. Of course, we know that in the New Testament, we are all kings and priests unto God and our Father. But in the New Testament, the equivalent of a spiritual leadership position is that of a pastor or deacon or evangelist. And today we don't anoint, but we ordain. And what he's saying is, I've given you these things because of your anointing. We could say because of your ordination, because of your calling, because of the authority that has been placed upon your life. And to thy sons, by an ordinance forever. Notice verse 9. This shall be thine. God is telling Aaron, I'm giving you some things. This shall be thine of the most holy things reserved from the fire. You say, well, what is he talking about? He's talking about the sacrifices. Because if you're familiar with the book of Leviticus and you're familiar with with major portions of the book of Exodus and even parts parts of the book of Numbers, you know that God had already uh, ordained and God had already uh, commanded that the children of Israel were supposed to bring certain sacrifices 
to God, and they were to bring them to the temple. They were to be sacrificed unto the temple. And these were literal animals. I mean, these were animals. When we talk about the sin offering and the burnt offering, when we talk about the meal offering, we talk about these different, the peace offering and, 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 and these different offerings that they would bring, they were bringing animals that would be slaughtered, that would be killed and sacrificed. But then what happened to those animals? Because if you think about it, these Levites, in a lot of ways, were like butchers. They were butcher, butchering an ox. They were uh, 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 taking apart these birds and these goats and these lambs, and they were sacrificing them, and then they were grilling them. I mean, they literally were burning them on an altar. And God is telling Aaron, those things that were given to be hallowed, he said, I don't want them just to go to waste. He said, I've given them to thee. Now, there are some things, some of the sacrifices were to be wholly burnt unto the Lord. They were to be completely burnt, and they were not to be given to the priest. They were not to be ate by the priest at all. But the vast majority of the sacrifices, people brought a meal offering, which they would bring flour and oil. They would bring certain ingredients that they would make cakes out of, and they would make bread out of, and they would perform the sacrifice. They would bake the bread, and they would present it unto the Lord. They would put it on the showbread or on the table of showbread, but then as they replaced that bread, they didn't just take that other bread from the day before and throw it away, but here God is saying that he's given it to the priest. Notice verse 9, this shall be thine of the most holy things reserved from the fire, every oblation of theirs, every meat offering of theirs, and every sin offering of theirs, and every trespass offering of theirs, which they shall render unto me. Notice he says, they, uh, excuse me, he says, shall be most holy for thee, for Aaron, and for thy sons. These are referring to the priests. Look at verse 10. In the most holy place shalt thou eat it. Every male shall eat it, it shall be holy unto thee. Look at verse 11. And this is thine, the heave offering of, the, of their gift, with all the wave offerings of the children of Israel. I have given them unto thee, and to thy sons, and to thy daughters. So it wasn't just to the priest, but it was to the priest and their family. To thy sons and to thy daughters, with thee, by statutes forever, everyone that is clean in thy house shall eat of it. So he's saying, look, if they're part of your household, they can eat of this. This is for the priests. This is for uh, the Levites. This is for their household. Now, what is it that we're talking about? And what is it that God is referencing here? And what he's really instructing the children of Israel, is he's instructing them how it is that the priests were to be paid. Because if you remember, the priests, and specifically the tribe of Levi, was separated from the rest of the tribes. And they were not given an inheritance. They were not to have land that they cultivated and land that they, uh, that they uh, made income from. They were supposed to serve the Lord full time uh, in the temple or in the tabernacle. And what God is telling them is that he had commanded the children of Israel to bring certain sacrifices, and how they were supposed to get paid is once those sacrifices were offered unto the Lord, once the ritual was completed, they could then take those animals, they could take that flesh, they could take that meat, they could take that flour, and it was to be distributed among the priests, and it was to feed the Levites, and it was to feed the priests and their house, thy sons and thy daughters. And what we're talking about here is how it is that they were to get paid, that the congregation was to provide for the financial needs of the priests and the Levites. This is what is being referenced here. Notice there uh, in verse 12, we'll come back to this in a minute, but notice he says, all the best of the oil and all the best of the wine and, all, and, and of the wheat, the first fruits of them which they shall offer unto the Lord, them have I given thee. Verse 13, and whatsoever is first ripe in the land, which they shall bring unto the Lord, shall be thine. Every one that is clean in thine house shall eat of it. Everything devoted in Israel shall be thine. Look at verse 15. Everything that openeth the matrix in all flesh, which they bring unto the Lord, whether it be of man or beast, shall be thine. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man thou shalt surely redeem. So he's saying we're not going to sacrifice, we're not going to have human sacrifices. He said the firstborn of everything is yours. He's telling the priest this. But he's saying, not human sacrifices. The firstborn of man shalt thou redeem, 
and the firstlings of unclean beasts shalt thou redeem. He said there are certain things that you weren't allowed to sacrifice. Human beings were one of them. Unclean beasts were another one. So for those, they were to redeem them. They were to pay uh, to not have them sacrifice. Verse 16, and those that are to be redeemed from a month old shalt thou redeem according to thine estimation for the money of five shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary, which is uh, 20 giras. But the firstlings of a cow or the firstlings of a sheep or the firstlings of a goat, these are all animals that could be sacrificed, shall uh, not redeem. They are holy. Thou shalt sprinkle their blood upon the altar and shall burn their fat upon the offerings made by fire for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the flesh of them, notice it again, shall be thine. As the wave breast and as the right shoulder are thine, all the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer unto the Lord have I given thee and thy sons and thy daughters with thee by statute forever. So I want you to notice, this is, God has explained to them, this is how the Levites are going to live. This is how the priests are going to live. This is how they're going to provide for themselves and for their families. They're going to do the work of the sanctuary, the work of the tabernacle. The people are going to sacrifice and give. And then from that is how they're going to eat and live and be provided for. Not only for them, verse 19, have I given thee, also and thy sons and thy daughters with thee, by statute forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord unto thee and to thy seed with thee. Look at verse 20. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, thou shalt have no inheritance in their land. So look, in the Old Testament time, to tell somebody that you were to own no land was to tell somebody you're not going to work a secular job. Now, Obviously, were these priests working? Of course they were working. I mean, every day they're sacrificing these animals. Every day, there's a morning and an evening sacrifice, and people are bringing all sorts of special sacrifice. Every time a baby's born, eight days later, they're bringing a sacrifice. Every time somebody accidentally touches a dead person or dead thing or is defiled in some way, somebody's bringing a sacrifice. When people sin, they're bringing a sin sacrifice. So all day long, people are bringing these animals, and these guys, I mean, this was manual labor. They were butchering these animals and, and preparing them and doing the sacrifice. So they're working, but they're not working for themselves. They're not working a secular job. Thou shalt have no inheritance in their land, neither shalt thou have any part among them. I am thy part, and thine inheritance among the children of Israel. Verse 21, And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the, and I want you to notice this, all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance. Now, why is it that God says, I have given the children of, Israel, of, of, uh, of Levi all the tenth in Israel? The reason that he's saying that is because of the fact that these sacrifices, some of them were to be offerings that people didn't have to give, they just wanted to give. They're free will offerings, they just love the Lord, they love God. But a lot of these sacrifices were commanded by God. They had to give them, and a lot of them were commanded under what we would call the tithe. These, the congregation was to bring 10%. So those that were not Levites would go out into their fields and they would work. Maybe they harvested a crop and 10% of that crop was to go to the Lord. The first 10% was to go to God. That was a tithe. This is what they were bringing to the temple. This is what they were bringing to the tabernacle. This is what they were sacrificing to the Lord. And this is what they were giving uh, the house of God. And then God is turning around and saying, give that to the priests. The priests are to be paid and their needs are to be met uh, through those tithes. Now, obviously, in the Old Testament, they were an agricultural uh, society. So today, when you and I tithe, we, you go to work and you get paid. You get paid money, so you bring 10% of that money. There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible even says for us to do that. But in an agricultural uh, environment and culture, if a man had a, 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 a farm with 100 sheep in it and he had to tithe, he would literally bring 10 sheep and give them to the Lord. If he owned whatever, 10 cattle, 
He would bring one of those and give it unto the Lord. The first one that was born that year, he had 10 of them born. He brings the one and brings it to the Lord. He had 100 sheep that year. He gets the first 10 and he brings them to the Lord. He had a crop of corn. He gets 10% of that corn physically and brings it as a sacrifice. And this is how the priests were paid. And here's what I want you to understand. In the Old Testament, the congregation was to provide for the financial needs of the priests and Levites through the tithe. Now keep your place there in Numbers chapter 18. We're going to come back to it. And go with me to the New Testament book of Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, if you would. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now this morning I uh, said in my announcements that this month has been a low month uh, for our offerings and tithes and offerings and donations uh, than they normally are. And you're probably thinking to yourself, like, of course, pastors are going to preach about tithing. But here's the thing. We just happen to be in Numbers chapter 18 when God brings up the tenth, okay? I didn't sneak into your Bible and add that word, the tenth. And we're going to see that it comes up throughout the chapter, the tenth, the tithe, okay? I didn't put that in your Bible right at this time. And I dead sure didn't decide to not tithe right before we got to a chapter um, on tithing. Uh, but I'm going to tell you this, if God gives me an opportunity to preach on tithing, especially when the, attend- when the offerings are down, I'm going to preach it because <laughs> it's in the Bible and it's the Word of God. And here's the lesson. And I just think to me, that's just God. I mean, because, you know, you, you get to a chapter on tithing, like I get to a chapter mentioning tithing, and I'm just kind of like, ah, I really want to talk about this. Then I look at the back of the bullets and I'm like, yeah, no, I need to talk about this. This is a problem. This is an issue. God wants us to learn about this and, 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 and understand this. And here's the point. The congregation in the Old Testament was to provide for the financial needs of the spiritual leadership. And like we saw last week, there is a, a, a New Testament uh, uh, equivalent to that. And the New Testament equivalent to that is that the congregation is to provide for the financial needs of the spiritual leadership in the New Testament as well. And that the, the congregation was to provide for the needs of the priests and Levites in the Old Testament. And they are to provide for the needs of the pastor and the deacon in the New Testament. And I don't care if you say amen to that. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. First Corinthians chapter 9. If you say amen, I appreciate it. But I'm going, to say, I'm going to tell you what the Bible says whether you like it or not. First Corinthians 9, look at verse 7. First Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. Here's what the New Testament teaches. And look, I'm just I'm preaching this because this is what the Bible teaches, but I do want to show you some interesting things from this, uh, this, this teaching from the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Here's what Paul said. Who goeth to warfare any time at his own charges? And here's what he's saying. When a soldier goes off to war, do they pay for themselves? I served four years in the U.S. Air Force. I was uh, deployed for four months in Qatar. And when I went to Qatar... As a member of the United States Air Force, and I was deployed, and I was serving in a deployed capacity in the United States Air Force, I didn't buy my plane ticket to Qatar. I didn't buy the rifle that I took there. I didn't buy the equipment that I needed while I was there and the things that I needed. I didn't purchase those things because I was sent there as a representative of the military. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? He's saying, look, if you're going to go fight for a military, usually they're going to provide your weapons, your uniform, the things you need. He says, who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? And then he, so, so he's giving this example, question mark, right? Then he asks another question. Who planted the vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? So because remember, Paul is, is, is in 1 Corinthians, he's dealing with a very worldly carnal church. And one of the things that they're arguing about is whether... Preachers should get paid. And he's telling them, well, who goes to warfare anytime at his own charges? And who planted a vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof? He says, who's going to take the time to plant a vineyard and but not eat of the fruit of the vineyard? Notice what he says. Who feedeth the flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? He said, why would you feed a flock? Why would you care for a flock and then not eat of what the flock produces? Look at verse 8. Say I these things as a man? Because they could be making the argument like, oh, you're making just these human arguments. 
But he says in verse 8, Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? He's saying, isn't this what God teaches? Isn't this what the Old Testament teaches? Isn't this what the law teaches? He says, Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? Verse 9, For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. And there was a command, and what he's doing is he's quoting the Old Testament where God commanded, where he said, look, if you're using an ox to tread out the corn, an ox is out in the field, and they're plowing, and they're working, and they're being used to bring it in harvest. He says, don't muzzle the mouth of the ox. Now, to muzzle means to to close up, to cover their mouth. And the idea was that while an ox was out there working, he's threshing, he's plowing, he's helping bring in this harvest, this animal, this ox, would be out in the field working, but as he's working, he's going to be eating of the corn they're bringing in, of the harvest they're bringing in. And these cheapskates would muzzle the mouth of the ox. Say, I don't want the, the ox eating up some of the stuff we're trying to harvest. And God actually made a command. He said, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. He says, look, if the ox is working, feed the ox. If the ox is working, let the ox eat. Now notice what Paul says. Paul says at the end of verse 9, does God take care for oxen? And here's what he's saying. He's saying, is God some sort of like an animal rights advocate? Does God, and here's the thing. God, all throughout the Bible, we're taught to treat animals well and to, to, to not, you know, mistreat them, and, 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 and obviously we should take care of animals. But what Paul is saying is when God said, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treads out the corn, he was giving an illustration. Yes, it applies to the ox, but he says it applies to all workers. He says, does God take care for oxen? Verse 10, or saith he altogether for our sakes? He says, look, God is saying this for our sakes, He says, for our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of this hope. And here's what he's saying. If somebody's working, then they should be allowed to eat. They should be allowed to uh, be nourished as a result of that work. And look, he's specifically talking about spiritual work. Look at verse 11. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, because now Paul is saying, Paul makes his arguments, and now he's making the application, and he's telling the Corinthians this. He says, if we, because Paul was a spiritual leader, he was in full-time ministry, he said, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? And what he's saying is this, if we've ministered unto you spiritually, if we've helped you spiritually, if we got you saved, if we got you baptized, if we help you grow, if we help you learn the Bible, if we help you with your marriage, if we help you with your child rearing, if we help you in the spiritual realm, he said, is it a great thing that you then supply for the carnal? The carnal's talking about the physical things that are needed for the one who's doing that work. And I, I want to highlight for you verse 10 because I really like it because he says, He that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of this hope. And oftentimes, and and look, I understand that the ministry is different than a business. I understand that. But I'll tell you this, we run this church like a business. And I don't even think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, the Bible, we saw it last week, the the Bible said in Acts chapter 7 that we were to appoint the seven deacons They said that we were to appoint them over this business. Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. There's no greater business in the world than being about my father's business. The greatest work that someone could give their life to is the work of God. Now, I understand that not everybody uh, is going to be in full-time ministry, and that's fine. Not everybody needs to be in full-time ministry. But I I do want to say this, that... Starting a church, and look, by the way, let me just say this. The church pays me well. The church pays the staff. I'm not going to say we pay them well, but we pay them. We pay them what they're worth. How about that? And um, so I'm not preaching this because there's any problems there. You know, praise God for that. I'm just preaching this because it's in the Bible, and it's good for us to know these things. But one thing that I do think that people don't understand sometimes is that the ministry should be no different than a business in the sense that if somebody's working hard, they should get paid. 
And when it says, he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope, what he's saying is this, look, oftentimes, and we have a lot of business owners in our church, and praise God for it, but I, so you business owners could, could maybe connect with this or understand this, that oftentimes when you start a business, you start a business in hope. You start working and you start investing into a business before you ever got paid. There was a sacrifice that went into it. There was time. And look, with church, it's the same way. I can tell you, at our church here, at Verity Baptist Church, my wife and I started this church in our living room 13 years ago. And for the first three, four years of this ministry, I worked a full-time job. The church never paid me uh, a dime those first few years. And you say, why did the church not pay you? Because the church didn't have any money to pay me. Because the church couldn't afford to, to pay me. I had a wife and children. I had to work a full-time job to be able to support them. But here's what the Bible is saying, and here's what we as Christians need to understand. When a man goes into the ministry, and he goes and starts a church somewhere, and he starts gathering with a group of people in his living room somewhere, and maybe he's working a full-time job. And look, there are pastors right now in the new IFB, lots of them, that are working full-time jobs while pastoring a church, and they should be able to plow in hope. They should be able to thresh in hope. They should be able to work, uh, uh, invest into the church with this understanding that one day when the church grows, one day when the finances are there, that the church should meet their financial needs. And we understand that in a business aspect, if a guy's working a full-time job and on the side he's starting uh, some work and getting some things going and that starts growing and he's doing it in the evenings and he's doing it on the weekends and it starts growing to the place where maybe he goes part-time at his secular, not his secular, his other, both secular jobs, but his other job and he goes part-time in his business and then it grows to the place where he finally takes the leap and goes full-time and now he's full-time working for himself. We think, yeah, this guy should make that income, but then a pastor does it and then people get decided to like, well, we shouldn't pay pastors. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? The idea is that ministry is no different than a business. When a man goes into the ministry and works hard for free, there should be a hope that one day, if the church grows, now if the church never grows to the place, then that's fine. But if the church grows to the place where it can pay him, it should pay him. And again, I'm not preaching that because we have a problem here. The church pays me. Not only does the church pay me, we have full-time staff that get paid from the church. Everything's fine uh, regarding that. But we do need to understand, that's what the Bible teaches. And people should get paid uh, for the work they do. By the way, let me just highlight this there in verse 11. Keep your place there in 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to come back to it. Go back to Numbers chapter 18. But it says there, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? And let me just, I've said this to our church family. Every, anytime this subject comes up, which is not often, okay? You, you got to agree with me there. I don't preach on this stuff a lot. Only on the first and the fifteenth. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> a lot of churches are like that, you know. <laughs> the first and the fifteenth is a sermon on tithing. Why we don't I, look? I, I'm bringing it up because it's in numbers. It's where we're at. But you need to understand this too. And I don't like this terminology. And if we use this term, I'm not mad at you. I'm just saying, you don't pay the pastor. Oftentimes, people people will say something like, "Oh, yeah, the, we pay the pastor." You do, you do not pay the pastor. You provide for the pastor's needs. You provide for his physical needs. And look, here's all I'm saying. And you might think like, oh, that's just semantics. And, and maybe it is. I don't think it is. Because here's the truth. What do you pay me for? Exactly. What do you pay me to do? I mean, like, every time I preach a sermon, it's like, what, $99.99? <laughs> At the end of the month, I'm like, well, I preached 15 sermons. I did six hours of counseling. I... What, what, people say, oh, we pay the pastor. What exactly do you pay me for? Because I'm pretty sure that everything I get supposedly paid for, I used to do for free. And if the church does not have the finances to provide for my physical needs and I had to go get a secular job, I would still do it for free. You don't pay me to do anything. Everything I do, I did before for free, and I do it for free. But what you do do is you provide for the needs of myself and the staff to free us up 
to do more of those things that we would do for free because some of you are extremely needy. <laughs> and I'm not mad at you. You're my job security. I'm like, yes. More problems. Good. My job is secure. The goal, the idea that's being taught here is this, that the congregation was to provide for the financial needs of the spiritual leadership in the Old Testament, and it's the same in the New Testament. Now, let me give you another thought. Go back to Numbers 18, look at verse 12. Not only was the congregation to provide for the financial needs of the spiritual leadership in the New Testament, pastors and deacons, as in the Old Testament, priests and Levites, let me take it a step further. If I've not yet offended you, maybe this one will get you. See, my, my thing is this, like, I don't preach a lot about finances, so when I do, I just, like, take the gloves off, you know? I'm just, like, I, I hit it hard, because I don't talk about it a lot, so if I'm going to talk about it, I'm not going to mince words. Numbers 18, 12. Notice what he says. All the best, all the best of the oil, and all the best of the wine, and of the wheat, and the first fruits of them which they shall offer unto the Lord, them have I given thee. Because then there's this other philosophy. The first philosophy is this, where people say, well, I don't think pastors should get paid. That's not biblical. Now, if a pastor cho chooses to work a secular job while being in ministry, there's nothing wrong with that. Paul, at times, had to be a tent maker to provide for his own needs because the churches weren't sending checks and helping him and providing for him. And that's fine. When I went into ministry, I worked a full-time job because the church wasn't at the place uh, where it could pay me, and there wasn't even enough work to be done to justify a, a, a full-time uh, employee or anything like that. So there's nothing wrong with that. If a pastor chooses to do that, there's nothing wrong with that. But the Bible does teach that a pastor and a spiritual leadership should get paid. But let me take it a step further. The congregation was not only to provide for the needs of the priest, they were to provide well. I mean, look at verse 12. All the best. Because here's the other philosophy that people have. People are like, okay, well, yeah, well, maybe we have to pay the pastor, but let's not pay him very well. And people have this idea, like, a pastor's supposed to be, like, some sort of, like, a Catholic, uh, you know, monk who took, like, a vow of poverty or something. And it's just like, let's just, let's just not pay him very well. Well, the Bible says all the best of the oil and all the best of the wine and of the wheat and the first fruits of them which they shall offer in the Lord. Them have I given thee. What did God give Aaron and the priests? He gave them the best. You say, well, that's the Old Testament. Okay, let's look at the New Testament. First Timothy chapter 5. First Timothy chapter 5. Look at verse 17. First Timothy chapter 5, and you can find the T books that are all clustered together. First, second Thessalonians, first, second Timothy, Titus. First Timothy chapter 5, and verse 17. First Timothy 5, 17 says this, this says this: let the elders, that's pastors, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of, notice these words, double honor. And by the way, I'm not going to take the time to develop it for you, but the word honor there is talking about money. And, and just, if you don't believe me, read 1 Timothy and look at every time the word honor comes up. It comes up when it's talking about providing for the widow's financial needs. It's talking about money. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of, notice, double honor. So does God have this mentality that says, just don't pay them very well? He says, give them double honor especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Now notice what he says there in verse 17. Let the elders that rule well. Let me let you in on a little secret. Because look, I, and, and, and please, I hope you understand my heart, and I hope that the Holy Spirit gives me the right thoughts and, and words to communicate this properly, because I definitely don't want to communicate this in any sort of prideful way. I, I hope you understand my heart. I hope you know me well enough to know uh, what it is that I'm trying to say. But some of you... The only church you've ever known is Verity Baptist Church. The only pastor you've ever known is Pastor Jimenez. The only pastor's wife you've ever known is Miss Joanne Jimenez. And you may not understand this, but the Bible says, let the elders that rule well. And let me just let you in on a little secret. Not every elder rules well. 
Not every church is created equal. And it's always funny to me when people come to a church like this and they're like, I'm going to go to so-and-so church and it's going to be just like Verity Baptist. And I'm like, okay. You know that there are churches where the pastor and the pastor's wife don't talk to the congregation? Do you know that there are churches where the church, the congregation, does not have the personal phone number of the pastor or the pastor's wife? Do you know that there are churches where no one from the congregation has ever been to the pastor or the pastor's wife's home? You say, I, I, how do you know that? I've been part of churches where I never, of the past, you never knew. I mean, he would come in two minutes before the service started. He would leave before the invitation was over. <laughs> You never went to his house. You never talked to him. They were just, and look, I'm just telling you. And then people come to church like this, and they have just access to me, access to my wife. We're just giving you all this time. We're just helping you. And we want to because we love you. But listen to me. Not every church is going to be like this. And look, I'm not trying to be prideful, but you're not going to get this type of preaching at just any church. Not every pastor is studying. Not every pastor is working at their craft. Not every, and look, isn't that true of every business? Not every plumber is created equal. Right? People go to work, and there's some people that are better than others, and we're not supposed to say that because we're communists or something. But look, can I tell you that there are some pastors that are better than other pastors? There are some pastor's wives that are better than other pastors. I'm not sitting here telling you that I'm the greatest pastor. I'm not telling you that, but I am telling you this. I know I'm better than a lot. And the Bible says that the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt, does this sound familiar? Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. And he says, and here's what we mean by that. And the laborer is worthy of his reward. Here's what he's saying. If the ox is working, feed the ox. <laughs> he says, especially they who labor in word and doctrine. And look, you can tell. You can tell the pastors that are phoning it in. You can tell the guys that are not spending a lot. You can tell the guys that are spending a lot of time golfing instead of studying the word of God and preparing sermons and praying that God would use them to spiritually help their congregation. Right. And look, and if, and if you can't tell, if you're like, I don't, think, I don't think this is very good, then find a pastor that can feed you and help you. Especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. God is not a communist. God says, if the man's working, pay him. If they're working, pay them. Go back to Numbers chapter 18. So we see that the congregation was to provide for the financial needs. And we see that they were to provide well for the financial needs. Look at verse 19. Numbers 18 and verse 20. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, Thou shalt have no inheritance in their land, neither shall have any part among them. Let me just speak for a couple of minutes to those of you guys who maybe want to go in the ministry. And let me be very clear about something. The ministry is like a business in the sense that you better figure out how to get up early and work late and not complain and be a self-starter and have some initiative and be, have some self-discipline. Because in the ministry, like in business ownership, if you don't have a boss, I don't have a boss telling me to, I, now I am a boss and I've got guys and I'm telling them where to be and what to do. No one's telling me where to be and what to do. The work that I, that I get done, I get done because I get up and I do it. And, and this is why not everybody should be a pastor. This is why not everybody should be a business owner. So there are some things that are very similar for the ministry and business. But here's the one major difference. 
verse 20. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, Thou shalt have no inheritance in their land, neither shalt have any part among them. He says, look, the reason that you're going to get paid from the tithes is because you are not going to be given the freedom to just go and make as much money as you want. And here's the major difference between a pastor and a business owner. And again, I'm saying this for the guys that want to go into ministry, but I'm also saying it for our church so you know this. A major difference between a business owner and a pastor is this, that when a business owner is highly successful, when he wakes up early, stays up late, works hard, and his his business makes a million dollars a year, then he pays the staff, he pays for the whatever equipment, supplies, he pays all the things, and then whatever's left over, he gets to keep it. That is not how the ministry works. The church can be, our church could bring in a million dollars a year. I pay the staff, but you know what? I'm on salary. I have a set payment. And whatever's, you say, anything that's above that, you just get to keep it? No, that's how pastors go to prison. And by the way, that's how our church in like five years raised almost a million dollars to buy that stinking building that I'd like to burn down right now. You say, how how does the church put aside a million dollars in five years? Because we work hard around here. Because we work hard and we steward your money well and we don't spend it on frivolous things and we do the best we can with it. And all of that excess where the business owners would be like, oh, I'm going on vacation. To me, I'm like, well, it's going to the church savings. Because we as pastors, thou shalt have no inheritance in their land. So the funny thing is that I can work as hard as a secular business owner, but I'll never live in the same neighborhood they live in. I can be asked, my organization can bring in as much money, if not more money, than their organization, yet I'll never drive what they drive. You understand what I'm saying to you? The business I started could be four times more successful than the average business in the city, but I won't make what those guys make. Because as a pastor, though there should not be a vow of poverty, and though they should be paid well, and they should be provided for well for the work they do, thou shalt have no inheritance in their land. Neither shall have any part among them. In that sense, we're different than the secular world. So you guys that want to go into ministry, think hard about that. Because you better believe, I've thought to myself, as much as work as I put into this stinking thing, if I was putting it into HVAC or something else, I could be making a lot more money. And I'm not saying that to say anything other than just the reality that the church should understand. Don't complain about, ah, oh, the pastor getting paid, the staff getting paid. You know what? These guys are working. Amen. And if work is getting done and things are being ran well, and aside from this month, <laughs> the finances are usually pretty okay. We're saving money. We're putting money, you know, we're, we're doing things uh, that, I mean, we're having conferences. We're, having, we're supporting missionaries, full-time missionaries. Amen. We're supporting full-time missionaries. This is how the ministry works. Go back to 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. And look, if you haven't been tithing, haven't been giving, and you're the reason why this month is not going well, think about Brother Stucky. (laughs) Pastor Stucky. Think about Brother Shaw. (laughs) Because he's the first one on the chopping block. (laughs) I'm kidding. If I get rid of one, I'm getting rid of all of them. Give myself a raise. 1 Corinthians 9. Look at verse 13. Do ye not know that they, now that they is the Levitical priest, do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? Isn't that exactly what we're reading in Numbers? He says, look, they in the Old Testament who ministered about holy things, 
who sacrificed and did things uh, and worked in the ministry of the tabernacle, he says, Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? They wait, they serve like a waiter serves. They serve at the altar of God, but then they partake from the altar of God because they get paid from the sacrifices that come into that altar. He's saying, do you not understand? Verse 13, do you not understand that the Old Testament priest and Levite got paid from the tithes of the people? That's what he's saying in verse, 19, in, in verse 13, 1 Corinthians 9, 13. I want you to understand that because then in verse 14, he says this, even so... Even so means in the same way. In the same way as what? In the same way as they which ministered about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait upon the altar are partakers with the altar. In the same way that those guys got paid from the tithes, verse 14, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach of the gospel should live uh, of the gospel. That preach the gospel should live of the gospel. The even so is saying this, that the New Testament pastors and deacons evangelists are to get paid the same way that the Old Testament priests got paid. Amen. Now, how did they get paid? Go back to Numbers 18. Numbers 18. Look at verse 21. Numbers 18, verse 21, And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance, for their service which they served, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Neither must the children of Israel henceforth come nigh the tabernacle of the congregation, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be the statute forever throughout your generations that among the children of Israel they have no inheritance. Verse 24, but the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer as an heave offering unto the Lord, I have given to the Levites to inherit. Therefore, I have said unto them, among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. So how did they get paid in the Old Testament? Through the tithes. I have given the Levites to inherit. He says, I have given them the tithes. He said the tenth. And he said, the tithes of the children of Israel. And then Paul said, in the same way that the Old Testament priests got paid, verse 14, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Now, I've been preaching about pastors getting paid and, and evangelists getting paid and, and deacons getting paid. But let me just make this application. This proves that God expects New Testament Christians to tithe. Because today you have people say, like, oh, in the New Testament we're not supposed to tithe. But wait a minute, when Paul says, the same way that the Old Testament priests got paid, which was through the tithe, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live up the gospel, what that is saying is that if they got paid through the tithe, then in the New Testament we are to get paid through the tithe. So that proves that we are supposed to tithe. That tithing is something that God has ordained in the New Testament. Go to Malachi chapter number 3. Malachi chapter number 3. Of course, Malachi is the famous chapter on tithing. And yeah, I'm going to cover it. Malachi chapter 3. This is me laboring in word and doctrine. This is part of the word. Malachi 3. I don't know if there's a staff guy, Brother Sharson. Can you get me a towel? Appreciate it. Malachi 3 and verse 8. Just one of these towels here. Will a man rob God? Malachi 3, 8. Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings? Now notice what he says. Say, oh, pastor, you're preaching on tithing. Thank you. Uh, to, to benefit yourself. No, honestly, I'm preaching on tithing to benefit you. Verse 9. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. People sometimes say, well, I can't afford to tithe. Listen to me, you can't afford not to tithe. Because God says, I will curse you. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Look at verse 10. Bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse. 
Now remember, why does he say storehouse? Because this is Old Testament. So literally, they were bringing flour, they were bringing corn, they were bringing grapes, they were bringing sheep, they were bringing animals. Like they're physically bringing of the stuff that they have been working on. So they had a storehouse in the temple where they stored these things. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. Notice that there may be meat in mine house. Meat means food. He says, I want there to be food in mine house. And of course, in the Old Testament, the house of God was a tabernacle. The house of God was a temple. In the New Testament, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 3.15, the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So the storehouse or the house of God today is the church. And by the way, let me just be clear. Your tithes do not just go to pay our salaries. We don't make that much, okay? Um, the tithes obviously pay our salary, but they also pay these lights. See these lights that are on right now? I don't get on my knees and say, Lord, please let them come on on Sunday morning. We get bills, and we have to write checks and pay these things. And every time we have an event, all these things you get for free, and all the, all the food, and all those things, hey, that all, that, all of that is supplied through your tithes and offerings. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Look, God says, it's interesting to me, because when it comes to tithing, he, he's, it's one of the only things in the Bible that he's so clear about. He says, if you don't do it, I'll curse you, and if you do it, I'll bless you. Amen. He says, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And look, I'm not going to get up here like some charismatic Pentecostal and tell you, if you sow $100, God's going to give you 1000 Look, God didn't say that he's going to give you money. You know, he may give you money. But there are some things that are more valuable than money. I'd rather have God's blessing on my marriage and God's blessing on my child-rearing, God's blessing on my health, God's blessing on, you know, I'm just saying like there's other things, that, ways that God could bless you. Now, maybe it's financially, and that's great too. Verse 10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me now here with. One of the only times, as far as I have seen in the Bible, this is the only time. Maybe there's another time that I haven't seen, but I haven't seen it. This is the only time where God says, put me to the test. Prove me now here with, saith the Lord. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall, be, shall not be room enough to receive it. Verse 11, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. That's Joe Biden. <laughs> That's Bidenomics. He said, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruit of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of all. I'd rather try to live off 90% with God's blessing than 100% with God's curse. Go back to Numbers 18. Look at verse 25. Numbers 18, 25. And by the way, let me just say this. I don't have time to... In fact, actually, let's, let's look at it. Go to Proverbs chapter 3, if you would. Proverbs chapter 3. If you open up your Bible, just right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you have Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3. Let me say this when it comes to tithing. God's going to get his money out of you one way or another. Oh, I can't, I, I'm not going to give God 10% because I, and then he'll just get it through the mechanic or he'll get it through whatever. He'll get it through the dentist. He'll get it through whatever. It's just, look, God, God is going to get his money. So, and this is what I often tell my children. You know, sometimes we have our younger children, maybe they refuse to eat. They refuse to eat something. And I'll just, I'll just, I'll just calmly look at them and say, you're either going to eat it and I'm not going to spank you or you're going to eat it after I spank you. But either way, you're going to eat it. <laughs> so you, you, you get to decide, are you going to eat it with no spanking or eat it without, with a spanking? And, you know, honestly, I'm not trying to talk down to you, but I am going to tell you, God is going to get his 10%. You either get it with his blessing or you get it with his curse. But he's going to get it. I don't know about you, I'd rather just be blessed. 
say, why do people not tithe? It's a matter of faith. Proverbs 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord. See how hot it is in here? We couldn't pay the HVAC numbers. <laughs> trust in the Lord. We're just trying to prepare you for that building. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. Look, when it comes to tithing, stop leaning on your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. You say, well, I don't know. What does this have to do with tithing? Look at verse 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits. That's tithing. When you see first fruits, that's tithing. Tithing is the first 10%. We give God the first 10%. People get this idea like, oh, it's the 10%. No, no, no. It's not 10%. It's the first 10%. When I get paid from the church and I sit down to start writing checks, the first check I write is my tithe check. He says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Look at verse 10. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Go back to Numbers 18. You know, here's what, here's what I believe. And I, you know, I'll just be honest with you. We spent a lot of money over on that, on that building. And it just, it is what it is. And, and of course, this month was not a good month financially, so it's kind of, it's kind of hurting the, the, the things that need to be done over there. But, but I, and I hope you understand my heart. I am not, I am not saying this in any sort of like, depressed or discouraged way or whatever. I'm not, as far as I'm concerned, that's God's problem over there. That's his building. That's his house. That's, 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 and, and you're his church. You know, if, if we don't move into that building or that building, whatever, you might think like, oh, pastor failed. I mean, I'll take responsibility because I'm a leader and that's what leaders do, but I'm just telling you, as far as I'm concerned, that's God's deal. But here's what I do believe. I believe that every need of Verity Baptist Church can be met if the congregation faithfully tithes. Because the truth of the matter is this, that in most congregations, 100% of people are not tithing. Not even close. And, if, we, and if, if a church ever got to the place where just everyone got right with God, everyone just faithfully tithed on, a, on, on every time they got paid, First 10% went to God. I believe, I mean, we paid off that thing. People are like, oh, do you think God's going to supply? I think God's already supplied. It's, it's under your Christmas tree. The Bible doesn't say tithe unless it's Christmas time. I mean, that's an interesting thought. It's the birth of our Savior. Let's rob from God. I mean, do people think about these things? I'm going to steal from God to buy myself a gift to celebrate the birth of the Savior. Yeah, because that makes sense. You say, well, pastor, yeah, this is easy for, you, easy for you to preach. You're the pastor. Well, let me let you know a little secret. I tithe. And, and the staff tithes. I don't know if they want to, but I require them to tithe. <laughs> no, they tithe, obviously. Numbers 18, 25. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thus speak unto the Levites, and say unto them, when ye take of the children of Israel the tithes which I give in you. So he's telling the priest, when you take the tithes from them of your inheritance, then ye shall offer up an heave offering of it of the Lord, even a tenth part, don't miss this, even a tenth part of the tithe. You see that? So God told the priest, hey, they're going to tithe, and you're going to live off their tithe, but when you get paid, you tithe. Look at the last part of verse 26. Even a tenth part of the tithe. So, you know, I work, and then the church pays me a monthly salary, and the first thing I do, you say, I get, how do you get paid? I get paid from the tithes and offerings of God's people. Not all of the tithes and offerings of God's people, but it meets, a part of that goes to the staff salaries or whatever. But when I get paid, first thing I do is I tithe off the tenth. I tithe. When we have a vision offering around here, my wife and I give to the vision offering. From our, from our money. And look, let me just say these things. Because sometimes people say the weirdest things to me, and, I, and I, it's, it's crazy to me. But my wife and I, and everyone on staff, 
has a separate personal account that is not the church's. We don't pay our bills from the church pays us a certain monthly salary, and we live off that. And then the church has its money. So, because people are crazy. So I've heard people say crazy. I'm like, no, that's not how it works, and that's how you go to prison. <laughs> but you are to, last part of verse 26, even a tenth part of the tithe. Verse 27, and this your heave offerings shall be reckoned unto you as though it were the corner of the threshing floor and as the fullness of the winepress. Thus ye also shall offer and heave offering unto the Lord of all your tithes which ye receive of the children of Israel and ye shall give thereof of the Lord's heave offering to Aaron the priest. So they were supposed to tithe from the tithe. And we as pastors are supposed to tithe from the tithe we get paid from the tithe, and then we tithe. So look, I'm not up here preaching at you and like, you got to get, look, I give. I tithe. I give to the vision offering. I give to the missions. I do these things. And this is what God has called all of us to do. Look at verse 29 so we can finish up this chapter. Let's, we'll kind of shift gears just a little bit. It's still talking about tithing, but let me just highlight one other thing for you. Numbers 18, 29. Let me, because we've been applying this because it is the way that the Bible applies it. It's how Paul applied it. That the way that the Levitical priests and the Levites got paid is the same way that a pastor and a deacon and evangelist gets paid in the New Testament. That's the application that Paul made, not the application that I made. I'm just preaching to you what the Bible says. But now let's just spiritualize this a little bit and remember that in the New Testament, we're under a new covenant. So in the New Testament, there are no priests. Remember we talked about it this morning? We are priests unto God and our Father. And Therefore, we don't need to go to a priest like they did in the Old Testament. We can go straight to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's something that God tells the priests, Numbers 18, 29. Out of all your gifts, because now he's telling them when they give, the priests. Out of all your gifts, ye shall offer every heave offering of the Lord. Notice what he says. Of all the best thereof even the hollowed part thereof out of it. Now, we've already seen this word best earlier in the chapter. Earlier in the chapter, he was telling the congregation, when you pay the priest, give him of the best. But now God is telling the priest, when you give, make sure you give of the best. Verse 30, Therefore thou shalt say unto them, when ye have heaved the best thereof from it, then it shall be counted unto the Levites as the increase of the threshing floor and as the increase of the winepress. And ye shall eat it in every place, uh, ye and your household, for it is your reward for your service. The labor is worthy of his reward. In the tabernacle of the congregation, and ye shall bear no sin by reason of it, when ye have heaved from it, notice the words, the best of it. Neither shall ye pollute the holy things of the children of Israel lest you die. Here God is saying, go, go back to Malachi if you would, Malachi chapter 1. I'll be done in two minutes. Look at Malachi chapter 1. God is telling them, give of your best. Give of your best. In Malachi chapter 1 and verse 7, Malachi addresses the fact that people were giving God not their best. Look at verse 7. Ye offer polluted bread. Think about that. They were supposed to bring bread, show bread, for the tabernacle. They brought the moldy stuff. They brought the stuff that had green on it. The stuff that was getting ready to throw away. They brought that. Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? And that ye say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. He says, You're, you are giving with disdain. Look at verse 8. And ye offer the blind for sacrifice. So you're supposed to bring a lamb or a goat or an ox to sacrifice the Lord. And instead of bringing the first and bringing the best, you got the, the lamb that was blind and you brought that to sacrifice. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 8. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person? Say it the Lord of hosts. You know what the Bible is saying is this. That when it comes to what we give to God, we should give Him our best. Amen. We should give Him our best. When I was writing this, I thought of these words. I've been quoting hymns a lot lately. I don't know why. I'm just in a hymn-quoting mood, I guess. 
I thought of these words in the hymn book. I wonder have I done my best for Jesus, who died upon the cruel tree. To think of his great sacrifice at Calvary, I know my Lord expects the best from me. How many are the lost that I have lifted? How many are the chain I've helped to free? I wonder have I done my best for Jesus when he has done so much for me. I want to ask you the question, I wonder have we done our best for Jesus? The hours that I've wasted are so many. The hours I spent for Christ, so few. Because of all my lack of love for Jesus, I wonder if his heart is breaking too. How many are the lost that I have lifted? How many are the chained I've helped to free? I wonder have I done my best for Jesus when he has done so much for me. Let's make sure that when we offer to God, we give him the best. Not polluted bread. Not blind sacrifices. Don't offer the lame and the sick. Let's give him our best. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this passage of Scripture and the things we can learn from it. And Lord, I ask that you would help us. Lord, I do pray that you would meet our financial needs. I know you own the cattle on a thousand hills and the gold in every mine. I have no doubt that you can pay our bills, that you can supply our needs. No doubt in my mind about that. But you ask your people to tithe, to be faithful, to give. And Father, I pray you'd help us to be faithful to give. Lord, I do pray specifically for that building project over there. I pray you'd meet our financial needs. You know that there's things that still need to be done. You know that there's work that volunteers can show up and help with. You know that there's things that need to be paid for. Lord, I ask that you'd help us to be faithful with what you've given us, our tithes and offerings. Lord, I just pray in life that we would give you our best. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. If it's okay with Brother RJ, I'd like to sing this song with you. 390 in your songbook, if that's okay with you guys over there as well, I guess.